It is no mistake that Christians cherish hope. We treasure hope because we can rejoice even in times of difficulty. And the hope that we hold on to does not disappoint, Romans chapter 5 tells us. And we have hope because we look forward to the eternal home prepared for us in heaven. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. Hope helps us keep our problems and our difficulties in perspective. It reminds us that this world is not all that there is. And so we place our hope in God and in his promises. Developing that kind of hope, the kind of hope that sustains our faith, is not an easy task. And as you know, it is possible for us to develop a false hope. To have hope in something that is not true. It's also possible for us to have hope that is misplaced. And it's possible for hope to be lost. If anyone ever lived who understood the importance of hope, it was the prophet Jeremiah. Which is why it might not surprise you to find out that of all the individuals who wrote in the Old Testament period, Jeremiah uses the word hope more than any other. He is an individual who understood what it meant to cling to hope. And there are a variety of passages that show that hope is what sustained him and it is what kept him from giving up. Before we get into our text, I'd like to show you just a few of these. Look at Jeremiah 17 and verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 7. He writes, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. A little later on in that same chapter, you find a prayer that Jeremiah utters. Beginning in verse 14 of the text, he says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. Let them be ashamed who persecute me, but do not let me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but do not let me be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destroy them with double destruction. Jeremiah relied upon God. He knew that only through God could he face the difficulties of this life. In Jeremiah chapter 29, a passage that we'll mention in a few moments, in verse 11, he famously wrote this. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then, of course, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 17, where the text says, There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. 
just a few of the times the prophet Jeremiah mentions the word hope, but there is another text that Jeremiah wrote that also features hope. In Lamentations chapter 3, the prophet in the middle of his dirge for the city of Jerusalem, a funeral lamentation, you find a beautiful ray of light. He said in verse 22, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. What do you do when everything around you seems to be falling apart? When you don't feel adequate for the task at hand? When you are tempted to turn away from God, when you are ready to quit and give up, when you don't understand everything that's happening around you, how do you maintain faithfulness? You cling to God in hope, even when it seems to be far away. We're going to notice that Jeremiah does this and that he encourages the people to do the same. I want you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah chapter 27. The first thought this morning that we need to be very clear on is that true hope is not based on our desires. Hope does not depend on what you want. And it's easy for us to confuse what God intends and what we would like. And yet Scripture shows us that that should not be the case. And one of the things we notice about Jeremiah throughout his ministry is that he is often proclaiming a message that many people did not want to hear. And in Jeremiah chapter 27, that is certainly the case. So let's notice how the text begins. Verse 1. The Bible says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourselves bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. And send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now what's God telling Jeremiah? Jeremiah, I'm going to have an object lesson that you're going to use. You're going to make a yoke, the kind that would be used to place upon oxen to cause them to pull a plow, and you're going to wear it. And you're going to send this to all of the kings of the surrounding area, and you're going to use this to make an illustration. You're going to use this to teach them a point. Well, what point is Jeremiah trying to teach? Notice verse 4 continuing. Command them to say to their masters, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground, by my great power and my outstretched arm, and I have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field I have also given him to serve. So all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of his land comes, and then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. 
And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, the nation will I punish, says the Lord, with the sword of famine and pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, your sorcerers who speak to you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon for they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. What's he saying? With this obvious visual He stands before the nations and tells them, unless you yield to the king of Babylon, you will wear the yoke. You will become a servant. You will be taken from your land. Will there be individuals who tell you that's not true? Yes, of course there will be. There will be individuals who tell you, don't worry about what Jeremiah is saying. There will be individuals who will tell us, don't worry about what the Bible says. It's an old book that has no bearing upon us today. But God's message was clear. Unless you yield to Nebuchadnezzar, who I am placing in control, you will be removed from the land. Now, as you go on in chapter 27, you find out that does not just apply to the enemies of Judah, the people that are living around them. It applies to the people of Judah as well. In verse 12, he says, I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die and your people by the sword and by famine and by pestilence as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. So what does Jeremiah do? He makes sure that the nations surrounding Judah hear that they are to become servants of the king of Babylon. He makes sure that the king of Judah hears, you will become a servant to the king of Babylon. Now stop for just a moment. Do you think that was a very popular message? Certainly not. It wasn't the kind of message that the kings of the various nations surrounding Judah wanted to hear, and it surely was not the kind of message that King Zedekiah wanted to hear, for he believed, and the people of Judah believed, that they were God's chosen people, and that nothing could overcome them or defeat them. And so, as a consequence, there was another prophet in the land, a man named Hananiah. And Hananiah took the occasion to challenge the things that Jeremiah taught. So notice what chapter 28 says as it begins. The text says, And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azar, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, if you consider... Jeremiah's previous prophecy 
the prophecy that tells all the nations surrounding Judah that you're going to be brought into captivity and that tells the people of Judah you're going to be brought into captivity on the one hand, and then you consider the message of Hananiah. In two years, this yoke will be broken. In two years, you won't have to worry about being under the, the Babylonians. In two years, even the things that were taken from the temple will be brought back and restored. Which message do you think the people preferred? Obviously, they wanted to believe what Hananiah was saying. This isn't going to be a difficult period. It's only going to last for two years. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah wanted to believe what Hananiah was saying. If you continue reading in chapter 28, you find that that is absolutely the case. In verse 5, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests, in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen! The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Yes, I want what you're saying to come true. But the lesson that he needed to learn and the lesson that we need to learn is that true hope is not based on our desires. We cannot simply place confidence in something that someone says if that person has no basis to say what they are saying. And Jeremiah also understood that. And so, in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Yes, I hope what you're saying is going to come true. But we'll only know if you are a prophet from God when it happens. And not surprisingly, Hananiah responds to what Jeremiah has said. He has an answer just as he previously has had an answer. In verse 10, the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off of the prophet Jeremiah's neck and he broke it. There goes the object lesson. Jeremiah all of this time has been wearing the yoke that he has made to show the people you're going to be brought under the hand of the king of Babylon Hananiah takes the yoke off of Jeremiah. He smashes it to pieces and he says in the presence of all the people, thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. You can really imagine how excited the people probably got based upon the actions of Hananiah on this occasion. Jeremiah was always the prophet of doom and gloom. The people didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. But what Hananiah is saying was appealing. Could we truly hope for restoration within two short years? God does not allow Jeremiah to go far. He wants him to answer, and so he does. Verse 12, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their places yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and they shall serve him 
I have also given him the beast of the field. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year, in the seventh month. It is easy for us to have our emotions moved when we hear something that we want to hear. But true hope is not based on our desires. True hope is not based upon a moving presentation like Hananiah's must have been when he took the yoke off of the neck of Jeremiah and broke it. True hope is only based upon truth. It is not derived from popularity. It is not derived from wealth. It is not derived from power. It is not derived from tradition. Only from the Word of God. So we see from the prophet Jeremiah that true hope is not based on our own desires. But true hope instead requires us to trust and obey God. In the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, we find a very unique feature of the book. There is a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the captives who already were found in Babylon. That letter begins in verse 4 of the chapter. And what we notice throughout the text is that God has very specific instructions to the people who have already been carried away. Watch what the text says, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Notice the difference between Hananiah's prophecy and Jeremiah's letter. Hananiah had told the people, within two years you'll be returning back to the land. Within two years, everything will be restored. Jeremiah says, go ahead and build a house and dwell in it. That's not the sort of thing that you're going to do if you're going to be in a place temporarily. Go ahead and plant the garden and eat its fruit. He's not talking about a summer garden like you might grow. He's talking about an orchard, something that takes years to even be able to produce fruit so that the people could then come to partake of its produce. Realize that you're going to be in Babylon for the long haul. God expects obedience. Verse 6, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. He's not talking about something that's going to end in two years. He's talking about something that's going to last for generations. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. That passage reminds me of the life of Daniel, of his work even within the kingdom of Babylon and eventually within the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, seeking for the peace. Daniel, by the way, was aware of the writings of Jeremiah. Perhaps he even had read this very letter. 
Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in the midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you have caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. The Jews in Babylon are told you build houses. You plant gardens and eat the fruit. You marry. You flourish. You promote the peace of Babylon. You live there. You die there. It will be 70 years before you are able to return. And the real question was going to be this. Would they believe God or not? How far away must have 70 years Is God going to restore us? Is He going to deliver us? Yes. But not for 70 years. How do you obey God when hope seems far away? On this occasion, the people were simply told, trust and obey. In verse 11 and following, the text goes on to say, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. The people had to trust and obey God. And if they did, true hope could be realized. It was God's plan and His design to give the Jews a future and a hope. And the people were to learn to trust God and not themselves. True hope is not based on our desires, but it does require us to trust and obey God. There's one other component that I would share with you today, and that is this. True hope waits on God. As you continue going through Jeremiah's prophecy, you find this idea presented in a variety of ways. The children of Israel, for example, were expected and demanded to wait upon God for deliverance. The removal from Babylon would not come from their own abilities. It would not come because they were strong enough to rebel. It would only come because God delivered them. Chapter 30 and verse 8, the text says, For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break His yoke from your neck, and I will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and from your seed from the land of their captivity. 
Jacob shall return. Have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. What's God going to do? If anyone is going to break the yoke of enslavement, it is God who breaks that yoke. Now, there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from that. Our inability to break free from the slavery of sin, for example, can only be reconciled through the work of God. Because of Jesus, the yoke can be broken from us, just as the yoke of enslavement to Babylon could only be broken by God, not by one's desires or by one's presentation like that of Hananiah the prophet. They were to wait for deliverance. But they weren't just to wait for deliverance. They were to wait upon the Lord for direction. And it became very clear in the lesson that Jeremiah is presenting that the directions they would receive would be new directions. The passage that was read for us as we began this morning, Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. When you read about the directions the Lord is wanting to provide for them, you find out this is a new covenant. That this new covenant is based upon knowledge. It is not based upon genealogy. And that this new covenant has an extreme blessing, the blessing of forgiveness. God will forgive their sins, their iniquities He will remember no more. That doesn't come through the sacrifices made under the Old Covenant. It only results from the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish and without spot. Wait on God. True hope depends on it. Wait for God's deliverance. Wait for God's direction. And wait for the identity that God is willing to provide. Notice chapter 32, beginning in verse 37. Speaking of the people of Judah, God says, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assemble or assuredly plant them in the land with all my heart and with all my soul. 
the people have the opportunity to truly be God's people. They have the opportunity to be a united people. One heart. They have the opportunity to be a focused people. One way. True hope demands that we wait upon God for His deliverance, for His direction, for the identity that He provides. And one final thought. For the Savior that comes from Him. Notice Jeremiah's words, chapter 33, beginning in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Who is that one that came, a branch from David? The one who sits upon the throne. He is none other than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus the Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jeremiah tells the people, yes, there is hope, even if it seems far away. True hope waits on the Lord. It waits upon the Lord for deliverance. It waits upon the Lord for direction. It waits for an identity given by the Lord. And it waits for the Savior that our Lord has promised. What do we do when hope seems far away? We follow the Lord. True hope sustains us in times of trial, but it's not based on our desires. It is rooted in trust and obedience, and it relies upon God. When hope seems far away, follow Him. Trust Him. Obey Him.